My name is Julie Smith, and I am the director of the Strategy and Statecraft program. That program is actually going to be renamed in the not-too-distant future, so we hope that you'll stay in touch and track breaking news at CNAS to find out what's going to happen in just a few short weeks. In the meantime, I'm here at CNAS joined by Jim Townsend, a former boss of mine at the Pentagon. He he was the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Europe and NATO in the Obama administration for eight long years and worked in that office under prior administrations and spent actually a couple of decades, is really the best transatlantic hand I know in town, and is now, drumroll please, going to be an adjunct senior fellow at CNIS working with me and I couldn't be happier. Jim, welcome. It's great to be here. This has been a dream of mine for us to work together, and now we've been able to do it. Great. So Jim and I are card-carrying members of what can only be described as the NATO fan club. We think there are maybe only two members of, of the club. Um, but what surprised us in recent months and weeks is actually how much NATO's been in the news. Um, and I guess, Jim, one of the things I wanted to ask you is, you know, you're somebody that's tracked the NATO alliance for a long time. You probably know more about the NATO alliance than anybody I know on either side of the Atlantic. Have you ever seen a point in history where NATO has been getting this much attention? Any other time come to mind? Um, I, it's, it's amazing. I have not seen it either. And what's really interesting to me is that it's been consistently in the news. It's not like something has popped up just because of a debate, a point, or something in the news. But every time I think it's now going to be out of the news and we'll, we, we'll go back to obscurity, it pops back up again, whether it's in a tweet or whether it's a bilateral meeting like with Merkel uh, and the uh, giving her a bill. I don't know if that happened or not, but, but, but these things keep it in the, in the eyes of the public. It keeps it in the news, and that's good for NATO because it gives us an opportunity to talk about NATO and explain NATO. So speaking of being in the news, we've heard, as you noted, there was this news this weekend that now has been um, kind of denied by both sides of the Atlantic, that when Chancellor Merkel was in town from Germany, she was actually handed a bill for past dues to the NATO alliance. Um, that may or may not be the case. Let's say it's not. Um, but uh, what we do know is that our president, President Trump, uh, and those working with him are worried about the fact that countries are not spending enough on defense. Uh, but there seems to be a little bit of a I don't know, disconnect between how defense spending actually works in the alliance and U.S. frustration with allies not meeting their commitments. Can you, Jim, walk us through what does this mean? What, so your average man or woman on the street, what, what's 2%? What, what does that mean? Well, it's a great, great point. And this used to be the province of a very small number of people. How is NATO funded? You know, who pays for what? Um, and it's the province of a few, uh, just a few people because it is so complicated and so boring in a lot of ways that only two people or three might want to know about it. But um, I think it's time that we come clean about this because when 
you know, if there was not a bill presented, that's okay. But for sure, the president said that the Germans owed us vast sums of money. Uh, and so he showed that he really didn't know how NATO was funded. And we have to correct that because, Julie, as you point out, and as we know, um, allies aren't doing enough in terms of defense spending. Um, and that shows up at NATO in terms of defense capabilities. So talking about what, what we term the 2% is, uh, is important. And we all need to understand it because the president doesn't and the people around the president doesn't understand. They don't understand either. So it's very simple, frankly, in terms of the 2%. What we care about the most is how much money nations spend on defense themselves, their defense budgets. It's not money going to NATO or NATO somehow getting dues or the United States getting dues from other nations. I've heard all of that. What NATO depends on is each ally spending the money needed for NATO to have access to military capability. So if nations don't spend what we have made as a target, 2% of their GDP on defense, if their defense spending isn't at that level, then they're not spending enough on defense, which means they're not buying the equipment and the training and the, and the, um, the military personnel that NATO might need to call upon. I'll give you one quick example and then, um, and then see what you think, Julie, because you know this stuff too. I've always likened NATO to a potluck dinner. When there is a war to be fought or there's an operation or a mission to undertake, and NATO votes politically, yes, we're going to do this. Essentially, they're agreeing to a potluck dinner, and all the allies have to bring something to that dinner. The cook is the Supreme Allied Commander of Europe. He's the guy uh, who's got to put together this potluck dinner, and he's assigned all the various allies dishes to bring. And if the allies haven't spent the money to, to make those dishes, then, then the potluck dinner is going to be nothing but potato chips. And that's not what the SACIR needs when NATO goes off. So what we need allies to do and what the president is trying to say in, in all the wrong ways is that nations need to spend enough on their defense, at least 2% of their GDP, so they can buy the things that NATO is going to need in order to take on a military operation. I, I love that analogy. It still rings true. I think it's the best analogy I've heard uh, in my entire professional career. Um, and it also helps people understand why it's important uh, exactly how allies spend the money. Not only do they have to spend more, but you want to ensure that not everybody brings paper plates. So it's got to be coordinated as well, which NATO right. headquarters can do. All right. So quickly, uh, before we drone on too long here, with the good news in all of this is that NATO allies have a shot at seeing President Trump and talking about everything that we're talking about here, including the potluck dinner, uh, at a NATO summit that's coming up on May 25th. This is the first time that President Trump is actually going to sit down face-to-face -face with all of our NATO allies in one venue. It's a little bit of an unusual summit. It's short, which it was always going to be. Uh, it's basically been put on the calendar so that NATO can bless its new headquarters. It's moving into a new building. And they 
want to celebrate that and Trump will come by and see the new building. There's going to be a really awesome 9-11 exhibit because the only time NATO invoked Article 5 in its history uh, was on 9-11. And so the building uh, will be a big part of this summit and then there'll be a dinner and there's only two topics at the dinner, counterterrorism and burden sharing or the potluck dinner as Jim describes it. So Jim, what what should Europeans be looking for, expecting from this summit? Well, that's a great question. I think we're dealing with two audiences, of course, um, the Europeans and, and which, if I were a European, what would I want to hear from Trump? Uh, the other audience, of course, is the United States and particularly the President of the United States. But for me, in looking at what should the, if I were a European, what should I be listening for? I do a couple things. Uh, the first, and I think probably most important thing, is that I, I would, I would avoid coming across as being too needy. That sounds a little weird, and I don't mean it to be that way. But um, I don't want um, the new administration, the new team, to look on NATO allies or to look on NATO or look on Europeans as always needing something, always whining, never being satisfied, being very insecure. I don't want that to be the impression that they get. And sometimes from Washington, as you listen to European nations from across the water, they're always wringing their hands. They're never, they're never, um, um, they're, they're always insecure, always needing more reassurance from us. I, I know from all of my work that that's just not the case, but that's the way it sounds. So number one, when they all meet together, I want it to be an, uh, allies that are secure, allies who know what they uh, what their roles are and are confident in their relationship with the United States. I want them to come across that way. This, but secondly, I think they do need to hear from Trump himself his views about NATO, and I'm hoping by the time he sits with allies, it will be a very sincere view based on knowing more about NATO. It's okay to come in as an American president and not know so much about NATO. NATO's the province of a handful of people. That's just the way it is. So um, it's okay to start off that way, but I'm hoping that by the time he meets with the allies, he will say in a sincere manner those things that they need to hear that echo what Pence, Vice President Pence said just a while ago, echo what Mattis has said. And now they're going to hear it come from the president himself. And I, and I hope that that is something that will then satisfy them, fill them with confidence if that's still required, to enable us to work very close together because we have so much ahead of us. I think that's, yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. I think that's exactly right. Uh, It's fine to come in as a new administration and not be a total NATO pro, but I think signaling to the allies what expectations are above and beyond burden sharing, how we're going to tackle readiness issues, which still plague the alliance, how we're going to deal with Russia. Allies are anxiously waiting to hear what the administration has to say about Russia. They want to better understand what expectations are are on them above and beyond 
defense capabilities. It's what's the strategy? What What's the vision for this alliance? Where are we going to take it in the years ahead? Uh, and so if not this round, hopefully in future rounds, other ministerials or summits will hear more. Uh, the good news, I'll, I'll just close, is that Secretary Tillerson, our Secretary of State, was going to skip the last meeting before the summit where foreign ministers get together and talk about uh, what's on the agenda. And uh, I think because of a lot of pressure coming from across the Atlantic and here in Washington, Secretary Tillerson is now going to make that meeting. They moved it uh, so he can make it. So watch this space. You're going to see Secretary Tillerson sit down with his NATO counterparts on March 31st, which is coming up. And that'll give us the first clues what else could be discussed at the summit above and beyond just burden sharing and the counterterrorism. So stay tuned. This isn't the last you'll hear from Jim and me on all things NATO. And if you're interested, let us know if you want to join the NATO fan club. Thanks, Jim. Thank you, Julie. This is great.